Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bible Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we will be breaking down the Bible one chapter a day. Whether you are a new believer or have been following Christ for a while, we believe that you will learn something new and fresh every single day. So thank you for joining us, and let's get into breaking down the Bible together. Well, everybody, welcome back to the Bible Breakdown Podcast with your host, Pastor Brandon. Today, 1 Kings chapter 2, and if I were to give this one a title, it would be, There is a New King in Town. There is a New King in Town. There's an old phrase that says there's a new sheriff in town, and usually what that means is, is you are doing it one way, now we're going to do it this way. And we've seen that a lot, and we're going to definitely see that today. And we're going to see if that works out for the better or if it brings up its own challenges. And we'll see what God maybe will speak to us. But before we do that, as always, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you like, share, and subscribe the podcast. Right there underneath this video on the right-hand side, you'll see a subscribe button. And I think I saw the other day that about 56% of those who watch these podcast uh, YouTube videos on a regular basis are subscribed. If you would do that... If you would subscribe, it's free to you, but it helps us to get the word out, and it also helps us to get over that first hump we're trying to do, which is 1,000, and I would appreciate that so much. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, thank you so much for listening. Please leave us a five-star review and let us know how you are interacting with this. Also, we would love for everybody to join us at the Facebook group called the Bible Breakdown Discussion. It's an amazing team there that are leaving us wonderful devotions every day that we can continue to chew on and grow with, and it is just absolutely amazing. And speaking of that, we had someone send us a Facebook message the other day, and it was so encouraging that they said that when uh, we go through the Bible, they really enjoy it, but they wanted to know when we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. And I do realize that it's probably one of the most popular books in the Bible, and so my answer to you is eventually. <laughs> so if, you, if you're just now joining us, what we're doing is... We're going through the Bible one book at a time, and we do one Old Testament book and then one New Testament book, and we're slowly making our way through. We're in 1 Kings chapter 2, which, by the way, if you want to get your Bibles open with me, you're going to be jumping in in just a moment. But when we finish with 1 Kings, we're going to go to a New Testament book. And I believe the next New Testament book is Colossians. And it's just kind of the way the process goes. We'll do Colossians, then we'll do 2 Kings, and then we'll do uh, Philippians, and then we'll do 1 Chronicles. And we'll just keep going that way. And so as that goes, we will be getting to Revelation in just maybe a few months. And I would encourage you to stick around with us until then, because many of us don't understand what the book of Revelation is actually trying to say, because we don't always see it within its context, and then also within its literary genre which is called the apocalyptic genre. So just kind of a little teaser for this. It's going to take us a little while to get there, but you might be surprised to find out what a lot of scholars and different ones who study such things, where they understand a lot of that stuff to come from. And here's the thing I want to tell you, just a little teaser. If you were to read the book of Revelation in the context in the first century, you probably would not be as confused as we are today. 2,000 years have passed between that writing and now, and there's a lot of things that would have been very common back then, that some of the phrasing is not so common anymore. So some of it is not as much of a mystery as we would think when we put it into its proper context. So I can't wait to get into that with you, but it's going to be a minute <laughs> before we get there. So hang on to that, and we'll be getting there soon enough, okay? All right, well, if you have your Bibles to First Kings chapter 2, remember the overall theme that we're going with here is the idea that your history tells a story, but it doesn't tell the whole story. God is always there, and he's always making a new future for all of us. We're going to see that because there's going to be a great season where the nation of Israel is going to be great, 
But then it's going to splinter and bad things are going to happen. But in the good seasons, God is there. And in the bad seasons, I would argue God is even more there. We're going to get to that soon enough. But first, let's talk about the good things. As I was saying before, I can name this chapter uh, a new sheriff is in town because David is about to die and Solomon is going to take over. We're going to read what he does when he takes over. And he is going to take over and he's going to wreck everything and establish himself as king, which is what you have to do. And we're going to read through this and see what maybe God would speak to us about our lives today. You ready? Here we go. First Kings chapter two. Let's dive in. Verse one says this. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son, Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. And if you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all of their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there is something else. You know that Joab, the son of Zariah, did what he did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, wink, wink, <laughs> but don't let him grow old and, or go down to his grave in peace. Be kind to the sons of Barzillia of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimni, the son of Gerah, the man of Bethua and uh, in Benjamin. He cursed me with the terrible curses when I was fleeing to Manahim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him. But that oath does not make him innocent. You're a wise man, wink, wink, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. Pause. So basically what David is saying is, hey, listen, I told these people I wasn't going to touch them. But guess what, Solomon? Wink, wink. You're not me. So David's still trying to have a little justice here. And he tells Solomon, you know what to do, my boy. And he does. Verse 10. Then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. David had reigned over all Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now, this is what he does. This is what the new sheriff does to set up shop. One day, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggath, came to see Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Have you come with peaceful intentions, she asked him. Pause. Now, if you remember, the reason why is because this is the joker who yesterday decided he was going to be king before David had a chance to anoint Solomon. So she has no idea, and I agree, we need to suspect this guy of any kind of treachery. So here we go. Yes, he said, I come in peace. In fact, I have a favor to ask you. What is it, she asked. He replied, as you know, the kingdom was rightfully mine. All Israel wanted me to be the next king, but the tables were turned and the kingdom went to my brother instead, for that is the way the Lord wanted it. So now I have one favor to ask you. Please don't turn me down. Pause. Can we just take a moment to just think about the nerve of this dude? I mean, can you just almost see the haughtiness? You know, I was supposed to be king, 
but it didn't work out that way. Uh, no, you what? But he still has the audacity to come and ask for something anyway. So she asks, what is it? Verse 17, he replied, speak to King Solomon on my behalf, for I know that he will do anything you request. Ask him to let me marry Abishag, the girl from Shaunim. All right, Bathsheba replied, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to Adonijah's behalf. The king rose from his throne to meet her, and he bowed down before her. And when he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought for his mother, and she sat at his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, she said. I hope you won't turn me down. What is it, my mother? You know I won't refuse you. Then let your brother Adonijah marry Abishag, the girl from Shahunam, he replied. How can you possibly ask me to give Abishag to Adonijah, the king Solomon demanded. You might as well ask me to give him the kingdom. You know that he's my older brother and that he has uh, Abathar the priest and Joab Zeruiah on his side. Then King Solomon made a vow by the Lord. May God strike me and even kill me if Adonijah has not sealed his fate with this request. The Lord has confirmed me in the place of my, on the throne of my father, David. He has established my dynasty as he promised. So as surely as the Lord lives, Adonijah will die this very day. So King Solomon ordered Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, to execute him, and Adonijah was put to death. Now pause. Now, I don't exactly know what it was that Solomon uncovered, but Abishag was the young virgin that they had got to go and take care of David. And so it's entirely possible that by marrying her, he would have then said that there was some kind of connection he had to the throne. Obviously, he hadn't let it go because of the way he talked to Bathsheba. And so Solomon notices there is a coup starting to form. And so he'd already given Adonijah an opportunity and he's had enough. And so the new sheriff in town, the new king in town says, off with his head. Verse 26, then the king said to Abathar, the priest, go back to your home and Anathoth. You deserve to die, but I will not kill you now because you carry the ark of the sovereign Lord for David, my father, and you shared all his hardships. So Solomon deposed Abathar from his position as priest of the Lord, thereby fulfilling the prophecy the Lord had given at Shiloh concerning the descendants of Eli. Now pause again. This comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, when a prophet came to Eli, who was the high priest at the time, and he said because his sons were so evil that they were no longer going to be allowed to be priests. And so it took a long time. But that prophecy was finally fulfilled. All right, pick back up again, verse 28. Joab had not joined Absalom's earlier rebellion, but he had joined Adonijah's rebellion. So when Joab heard about Adonijah's death, he ran to the sacred tent of the Lord and grabbed to the horns of the altar. And he reported to, when it was reported to King Solomon, he sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, to execute him. Benaniah went to the sacred tent of the Lord and said to, to Joab, The king orders you to come out. But Joab said, no, I will die here. So Benaniah returned to the king and told him that Joab had said what he said. Do as he said, the king replied. Kill him there beside the altar and bury him. This will remove the guilt of Joab's senseless murders from me and from my father's family. The Lord will repay him for the murders of the two men who were more righteous and better than he. For my father knew nothing about the deaths of Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and of Amasa, son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah. 
May their blood be on Joab and his descendants forever. And may the Lord grant peace forever to David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne. So Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, returned to the sacred tent and killed Joab. And he buried him at his home in the wilderness. Then the king appointed Benaniah the command, to command the army in place of Joab. And he installed Zadok, the priest, to take the place of Abathar. The king sent to Shimei uh, and told him, Build a house here in Jerusalem and live here. But don't step outside the city or go anywhere else. On the day you as so much as cross the Kidron Valley, you will surely die and your blood will be on your own head. Shimei replied, Your sentence is fair. I will do whatever my lord the king commands. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But three years, uh, three years later, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to King Achish, the son of Makkah of Gath. When Shimei learned where they were, he saddled his donkey and went to Gath to search for them. When he found them, he brought them back to Jerusalem. Solomon heard that Shimei had left Jerusalem and had gone to Gath and returned. So the king sent for Shimei and demanded, Didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you not to go anywhere else or you will surely die? And you replied, This sentence is fair. I will do as you say. Then why haven't you kept your oath to the Lord and obeyed my command? The king said to Shimei, You certainly remember all the wicked things you did to my father David. May the Lord now bring that evil on your own head. But I, but may I, King Solomon, receive the Lord's blessing. And may one of David's descendants always sit on his throne in the presence of the Lord. Then, at the king's command, Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, took Shimei outside and killed him. So the kingdom was now firmly in Solomon's grip. Whoa. <laughs> First of all, I'm going to tell you who I'm never going to cross. I'm not going to cross Solomon. I'm not going to cross this Benaiah guy. I mean, this joker, he's killing some fools. All right, He's killing them all over the place because what Solomon is doing is he is making this radical amputation of all the evil, all the evil in the entire kingdom because he wants to honor the Lord. Do you know, I have seen people do this in their life and I've seen amazing things happen and I've seen people not do this and tragedy occur. Now, I'm not talking about literally going out and killing people, obviously. I'm talking about when they give their life to Jesus and they want to reorder their life, or can I say it this way, their kingdom, to make sure that they honor and serve the Lord. And when they do, they find that there are these competing ideas, competing ideologies, uh, false gods, whatever you want to call them, sins in their life. And they realize that if I'm going to serve God, I've got to root out all the evil, all the bad stuff, so that I can serve God. And so they radically get rid of all that stuff. I've known people who had trouble with, with alcohol. They, 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 they couldn't have a drink. They'd have to get drunk. It was just a, it was medicating broken places. And so they would find a whole new route to get to work so they wouldn't pass their favorite liquor store. I know people who had trouble with pornography and realized it was a sin and it wasn't honoring God or their, or, or their wife and their people in their life. And so what they did is they, they, uh, downgraded their phone so their phone didn't have internet on it. And they put passwords all over their, their internet browsers. They, they just radically changed their life because they wanted to serve God and to be innocent before him. And you know what happens a lot of times? Amazing things. They experience healing. They experience the Lordship of Christ in their life and amazing things happen. But what I've also seen is I've also seen people who wanted to find a way to negotiate with sin. You know what? I know I should probably find a different way to work. 
I know I should probably put internet passwords, but you know what? I don't want to go too far. I want to be balanced in my approach. And so what happens is, is they start flirting with lesser gods. <laughs> they start flirting with, you know, these other minor idols in their life. And eventually the minor idols win. These other things win because eventually that broken place in your life, while God is in the process of healing it, it's going to hurt one day. And if you still have these other things, you're going to be tempted to go to the other things rather than God. And so I want to encourage you to be like Solomon in that. Not not saying you should go kill a fool. not saying that at all. But I'm saying in that, I'm going to remove from my life anything that will hinder the Lordship of Christ. If it's a sin issue, I'm going to deal with it. If it's an unforgiveness issue, I'm going to go make things right. If it's anything in my life that's going to stop me from letting God have a firm grip on my life, I am going to be so careful to get rid of it because I'm after freedom and I'm after God having control. And if you'll do the hard work up front, then it will go much better for you. You imagine what would have happened if Solomon hadn't done this. It would have been chaos. It would have been constant intrigue and, and what ifs and, and fear and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But because he was willing to do the hard work now, he didn't have to deal with it later. I want to encourage you, do the hard work now to root out the inconsistencies, root out the, the enemies of your joy, the, the, the sin issues, the, the false unities, the different things in your life, and align yourself with the authority of Christ because it will be so much better in the future. Because... If you remember, the overall theme of this book is your history tells a story, but it doesn't tell the whole story because God is at work and he has a way of making all things new in your life if you will let him firmly lead all the way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, Lord, how you walk with us. Lord, in this journey, it could be so difficult to turn to you fully because sometimes it requires us to do some radical things, to take a different route to choose to forgive when it's so hard. It's a thousand things. I pray you will give us the courage to take the next step, knowing that you're with us and you're for us and that your plan for us is so much greater than we can imagine. I'm thankful for you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Well, don't forget, the, the wonderful word of God comes to us in 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah says this to the kingdom and he's still saying us to this to us today when he says, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. I want to encourage you to go all the way and follow God and see what he does in your life. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow for 1 Kings chapter 3.